Blog Talk Radio. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the BHITB podcast. I'm your host, Dante Fortune. Today, we're continuing the This Is Satan America series. Today, we're going to jump forward. We didn't lay the foundation. We're going to jump forward, and we're going to start talking about the founding of America because that's going to tie back into a lot of the biblical stuff that happens between where we left off in part six and where we are picking up now. So if you have not listened to any of the previous shows, go back, start at part one. Uh, if you're looking for the show notes, this is episode number 23. The show notes will be up um, today at some point after the show. Uh, so you'll be able to find everything I'm talking about in the show notes on blackhistoryinthebible.com. Now, for those of you who are not patrons yet, uh, go to, to, go to the um, BHITB Patreon page. Check it out. You can become a patron for just a dollar. There's a welcome package in there with some free printables uh, as part of the welcome package. Uh, there's a couple of um, PDF books in there as well just for becoming a patron. There's two levels, uh, Red Pill Access and All Access. Check out both of those if you want to support the ministry. Um, and before we get started, finally, the Black Hebrew Awakening. This is the second edition of the Kindle version. This will be available in print November 15th. So if you have not gone to the Black History in the Bible website, I stuck a sneak preview of the table of contents on there, so you can go check that out. There's also um, voting going on, the choice between three different covers. I might actually choose two of the three covers. I'm not sure yet, but there is a vote going on, so go check that out and vote on which cover you like the best. And for those of you who prefer to read on Kindle, the book is already available for pre-order. If you go to any Black History in the Bible study on, on the site and scroll to the close to the bottom, you'll be able to see the link to pre-order the book on Kindle. Uh, so make sure you check that out if you're a Kindle reader. All right, so today we're going to go ahead and jump into the founding of America. And I'm going to start with a verse that is foundational in the Bible that I think often gets ignored because there's so much packed into it. There's it's actually three verses, but... Um, there's so much packed into these three verses that it often does not get talked about as much as it should. So when Christ was fasting for the 40 days and the devil came to him, the enemy, which we, this is what I've been talking about this whole series, when he came to Christ, we get a, a lot of revelation on exactly how powerful the enemy is and what his agenda is. So this comes from Luke Chapter 4, verses 5 through 7. Go read this for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Remember, Acts 17.11 at all times. Even if I forget to say it, Acts 17.11. Listen to what I say and then go back and check all this stuff for yourself to make sure it's true. All right, so here we go. Luke chapter 4, verses 5 through 7. And the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed, him, uh, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, all this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. If thou therefore will worship me, all shall be thine. So this is called a temptation for a reason. The Bible says that Christ was tempted. This wasn't just a false promise that Satan was given. Now notice what he says in here. First, it uh, let me point out that it says he showed him the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. So it it took him however long a moment of time is, but it didn't take long. So either there is a way for the enemy to manipulate time or 
time was working different somehow. I'll put it that way. Time was working different somehow in what they were doing, whether it was the enemy's power or whether it's um, the spiritual realm, you know, they see things different. We don't know for sure. We just know that time was handled differently at this point uh, based on what they saw. So it says, the devil said unto him, all this power will I give thee and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me and to whomsoever I will I give it. So this is important because the devil didn't claim that he had this power on his own. He claimed that this power was given to him. And we know that the only one that could give him this power is the most high. And we also know Christ called him the God of this world. So there was truth in his claim that he had the power to give the world to whoever he wanted to. And he gives it to the people that worship him, which is part of the basis for this series. This is Satan's America. So let's, let's get into the founding of America. One of the, uh, I guess you say, um, false teachings, I believe it's a false teaching. One of the deceptions is that when Europeans arrived in America, they saw black Native American. This is being passed around. People believe that they are black native aboriginals, and they post these pictures of um, dark-skinned Native Americans, and they say, well, because we have these pictures of dark-skinned Native Americans, it's proof that black people were really indigenous um, to America. So let's address that. So first things first. Black people did not arrive in America until 1619, and we can prove this. And I'm going to prove this as we go along. So we didn't arrive in, in America until 1619. The camera was not invented until 1816. Do the math. Do the math on that. 197 years later, 197 years after black people arrived in America, that's when the camera was invented. So far, the earliest image I've been able to personally find is from 1878, the earliest image of a Native American. Let me, let me be more specific. The earliest image of a Native American that I found is from 1878. That's 259 years after the camera, or I'm sorry, after black people arrived in America. 279 years. It's also 50, uh, 62 years after the camera was invented. But the problem with that is that the Emancipation Proclamation happened in 1863. So the first picture of a Native American didn't even happen until after the slaves were emancipated. So till 15 years after the slaves were emancipated. So when people show you those pictures, they're not putting all of that into context, that the earliest picture was taken 259 years after slaves had been here. And then they don't put into context that the slaves have been aping to live among the natives. And so they have started to mix into these native tribes. And then they don't put into context that this first picture wasn't taken until 15 years after the Emancipation Proclamation. So this is important to understand because it's misleading when people try to tell you that we were native aboriginals and that they saw black Native Americans uh, when they arrived. So let's start from before that. And let's let's come back into that. We'll we'll bump back into black people mixing into the native tribes because there's a, a lot of history that goes on before we even get to the, the slavery part. So in 1492, according to European history, uh, Columbus discovered America. We know this is not true. Columbus made it here 492 years after Leif Erik Erikson, 
and over a thousand years after it is believed that Egyptians had already been coming to America. So Columbus was not the discoverer of America. And we believe that the Egyptians were trading with the natives. They had traded. And so because they had traded, we the sorry, the Egyptians uh, had been here first. But this is important. They did not colonize America. They just traded with the natives. So according to history, European history, there were 86 people, 86 to 89 people on board the three ships that came with Columbus, the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. Now, we're taught that this is, they were trying to find a route to the West Indies, um, a Western route um, to Asia from Europe. Look at a map, see where Europe is, see where Asia is. They were trying to find a route all the way back around. It, it, it doesn't make sense to me. I'll say this. The story that's told does not make sense to me. So they bump into this landmass they call America. I personally believe that Columbus was part of a scouting party. They were preparing for invasion. And as we look more into the history, the more it seems like, yes, they were preparing for invasion and not really just trying to find a route to the West Indies. So we'll skip to 1494, which is two years later. So the Spanish and Portuguese had already been coming to the Americas, mostly into South America, various parts of North America, but mostly into South America. And so the Spanish and Portuguese were fighting over territory, and so they signed uh, the Treaty of Tordesillas in 1494. This is important because it divides all non-European parts of the world into two categories, exploration and colonization. It's important, exploration and colonization. We didn't see them colonizing Asia but they divided all non-European parts of the world. So let's go to, we're going to come up to 1542. So this is going to be part of um, what I was saying about we can prove that black people were not the natives that they ran into when they arrived. So in 1542, something called uh, the new law, it's, that's called the new law in short, Google that. The long name of it is New Laws of the Indies, for the good treatment and preservation of Indians. Now, these laws defined how you could treat Indian indentured servants. They weren't treated as slaves um, the same as Negroes were when we were brought here. So for those who believe that the Native Amer- we're, we're actually Native Americans and we were already here, if you believe that, then you have to explain why we, there were laws made to basically keep us from being wiped out. You have to explain that and why those laws were not applied to the Negro slaves. So you have two sets of laws, one set of laws to protect the natives, and then there's a set of laws to oppress the Negro, which we're going to get into. They estimate that 95% of the native population was wiped out by smallpox, diphtheria, influenza, typhus, and measles. These are diseases that the Europeans brought over. Smallpox, We most of us know the story that They pretended to make peace with the natives, and they gave them blankets covered in smallpox so that the native population would be wiped out. Now, when you go back and read some of this stuff in history, they'll make it seem like smallpox just wiped out the natives. No, it was an intentional biological warfare waged by the Europeans to wipe out the natives because they wanted the land. 
And the reason they wanted to wanted the land, in my opinion, is because they knew who we were. Um, they wanted to take the Hebrews as slaves, but they needed somewhere to put them. So in Psalms 83, there's, there's a conspiracy to take the nation of Israel, wipe out the memory of them, and make them forget. But in order to do that, you need somewhere to put them. Because in Africa, they knew who they were. When they were in the um, renamed Middle East, which is really Africa, they knew who they were. So you had to have somewhere where nobody knew who they were. So they brought them over to America and erased our memory. But before that, in 1607, you see the first um, colonies pop up in 1607. So in 1607, they established themselves in America, and 12 years later, they start going to get slaves. This was like an almost immediate thing in the context of history, 12 years after landing. So it's, it's important to know the timeline because this is why I say I think the Columbus situation was a, a scouting party. So in between 1492 and 1607, when they established this, there's a lot of war going on, fighting for territory, and America doesn't have a chance to – the Americans – don't have a chance to really establish themselves where they can take people away and go get slaves yet. So while the 1492 thing was going on, the Portuguese, who had already divided the world up into exploration and colonization through the Treaty of Tordesillas, they started deporting black Jews out of Portugal to the western coast of Africa. This is around the same time Columbus is coming over to America, right? So they knew where the Hebrews were because this is all documented historically. And if anybody wants to go check out the dates, and the references on the Portuguese deporting the black Jews, go to blackhistoryinthebible.com and um, search the word Portuguese. It'll give you all the information that I've added to the site about the Portuguese and their involvement in the slave trade, maps, and everything else. Uh, so you can go check that out. So let's talk about the slave codes because the slave codes are going to start very soon after 1619 when they first start importing the African slaves in. Now, it's important to understand that the slave codes were 100% the product of white men who identified as Christian. White women did not have the right to vote. Native Americans did not have the right to vote. Mexicans did not have the right to vote. And Negroes did not have the right to vote. This was 100% white men. So in 1639, this is important, 1639, they passed a law. These are called the slave codes again if you want to go look them up. Everyone except Black slaves could own arms and ammunition. We're talking about gun control. Now, look at the modern time. Which party is pushing gun control? This was how they kept the slaves from fighting back. So now in 1662, they determined that the children that were raped, I'm sorry, the children of the black women that were raped by the slave owners could be held as slaves. This Before then, you couldn't hold the children as perpetual slaves. But now, because it is the son of the slave owner or daughter of the slave owner, they could make the decision to hold their own children in slavery perpetually. Then, in order to discourage interracial marriage in 1664, they passed a law that any white woman that wanted to intermarry with a slave would become a slave, and any children produced by that union would also become slaves. So it was a discouragement. They wanted to discourage mixing with black people other than when slave owners raped the black women. So understand what's going on here. If the, if the lineage is traced through the father, then any child produced 
uh, from the union of a black male slave and a white woman, that child would be considered Hebrew or Negro. Now, when people tell you that the Hebrews mixed into the world and they're everybody now, that's a lie because we were brought here to America and there were laws made specifically to prevent it. No white woman wanted to go into slavery because she fell in love with a Negro. So it just, it wasn't a thing that was happening in mass. It may or may not have happened. And that may have been why they um, created the law in the first place. But after that, we don't hear stories of white women becoming slaves because they're not risking their freedom to, to fall in love with a Negro. In most cases, they would claim rape if something like that happened, and then the Negro would be executed. So there wasn't a lot of um, mixing into the world because our men weren't allowed to mix with their women. Um, so let me move on from that. In 1667, three years after that, let me give some um, – a little bit of background before I go into the 1667 law, because this is going to become important. So there were already rules that if you were a Christian, you could not be enslaved because they looked at that as enslaving a brother or sister of Christ in Christ. And that was considered an offense an evil. And then in 1667, they changed the law to specifically say that only black Christians could be held as slaves. So if you were a slave and you converted to Christianity, you could use that to get your freedom, but they saw that as a loophole. So then they said, oh, well, you can't hold any Christians as a slave except for black people. So these laws were made to oppress us. And it continues, 1705. 1705 is when they defined slaves as real estate. This says this in the, in the slave codes. The slave is defined as real estate or property, which is why when people get locked up, they refer to them as state property. This comes from the slave codes. In 1712, this is where the perpetual slave laws come into play um, in mass, not just from the children of the slave owners. They basically um, classify all black people in America as slaves forever. 1712, anyone previously enslaved and their children are declared perpetual slaves. So even if your great-great-great-great-grandfather had somehow gotten their freedom through you know, being released or buying their freedom, whatever they did, because of this law, because they had been held a slave, any children that they have were now considered slaves as well. Even though they were technically free, they were still considered slaves. Now, um, let me see, in 1705, let me, uh, you know what, I skipped one. So that was in 1712. Let me go back to 1705. 1705, there was one more law uh, where the master is, is deemed unaccountable for killing a slave. Like they couldn't be prosecuted for killing a slave. So we see this now in the modern-day police force. Whenever a black person is killed by a cop, even when we're innocent, the cop is rarely held accountable. This goes back to the 1705 slave codes that you couldn't be held accountable for killing a slave. And what did we learn? In 1712, they declared all people and their, all former slaves and their descendants to be perpetual slaves. So they're still looking at us like this, right? So another law in 1712, slaves needed a license to travel. And what happens when you get pulled over by the police? The first thing they ask you for is your license. You needed a license to travel. So 
the modern license program and having ID and walking around with that, that stuff comes out of the slave code. And then they just kind of modified it and it evolved as time went on. But this is linked to the slave codes. Um, in 1724, slaves that fought back against the master or any, any oppressors, basically Europeans, could be executed for fighting back, which is why you see when um, – when black people resist arrest, they get shot or beat because it goes back to these slave codes. If you look at the book of Esther, there was a similar situation where Haman wanted to kill all of the Hebrews. And Esther had to go on, on behalf of all Hebrews and get the law changed so that the Hebrews could fight back. Now, when we talk about Esther, we rarely talk about this event. But what had happened was they had passed a law that says that on a certain day, now, go read the book of Esther for yourself, but on a certain day, the people were allowed to just go out and murder Jews in the street. They were allowed to do this without consequence, and the Jews weren't allowed to fight back under penalty of death. So you think about that. The, the, the king gives everybody permission to murder black people on a certain day, and if you fight back, you could be put to death for fighting back in order not to die. So you're in a lose-lose scenario, which is why Mordecai was so insistent about Esther going to handle this problem with the king because uh, Mordecai understood. He said, they're going to come for you eventually. If you don't do anything about this, it's going to come for you eventually. And so we see this, and I, I try to point this out to people when I talk about the crime bill that the Democrats passed through Bill Clinton in 1994. It was supposedly to target the gang members, and the black churches and the black church leaders and black people were all on board with this. And then what really happened was they targeted more than just the gang members. People started getting targeted for minor crimes. Drug users started being targeted and getting life sentences. Drug dealers, so the gang members who were causing the violence and shooting people they wanted to stop. Then it was drug users. Then it was drug dealers. And now it's open season on all black men. You got a cell phone in your hand. You got a wallet in your hand. We've all seen the videos. You're driving around. Oh, he has weed on him. Open fire. I mean, it's open season thanks to the crime bill. And we didn't get an apology from Hillary and Bill until 22 years later when prompted by BLM, and she wanted to run for the presidency. And our people are acting like this stuff is unintentional. They keep referring to this as unintended consequences, and they keep voting Democrat. So these, this stuff goes back to the slave laws. Now, we're going to skip forward a little bit in history to the War of 1812. Now, understand that this curse – uh, we often talk about the curse, the 400-year curse. It comes from Genesis 15, 13 through 14. It says, And he said unto Abram, Know for a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them 400 years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterward they shall come out with great substance. Now notice, the affliction is going to last for 400 years. What many of our people don't realize is that the War of 1812 actually freed slaves. The British, when the war happened between the Americans, the British offered freedom to any slave that would fight on their behalf against the Americans. Now, in 1814, uh, Francis Scott Key wrote the Star-Spangled Banner uh, after the bombing. The, the flag had survived the bombing. He wrote the um, Star-Spangled Banner, and many of us know the third verse, it celebrates a return to slavery. Now, 
this is where history proves that you cannot subvert the will of God. Now, the British were the most powerful army at the time, or believed to be the most powerful army at the time. They offered slaves freedom, so it looked like slaves were going to get their freedom in 1812. But as the third verse in um, the Star-Spangled Banner indicates, after the war had happened, Francis Scott Key understood that they were going to win the war. And it says, um, in his third verse, he says, and where is that band who so vauntingly swore that the havoc of war and the battle's confusion, a home and a country should leave us no more? Their blood has washed out their foul footsteps pollution. No refuge could save the hiring or slave from the terror of flight or the gloom of the grave. And the star-spangled banner in triumph doth wave over the land of the free and the home of the brave. So he understood this. He understood that the defeat of the British meant that the slaves had nowhere to run. They either had to work or die. So we look at this and we say, okay, that technically should have, should have gotten us free, but there's, there's no subverting the curse of God. We were under a curse. So in 1815, this war comes to a complete end. And all the freed slaves were returned because the agreement was that the British would return all property that had been taken in the war. And as I said, in 1705, the slave codes defined a slave as property. So even though the British had offered and given black people their freedom, they now agreed to give back property, and so since the slave codes defined as property, they had to give back the slaves. So slavery did not end, which is going to bring us back to the uh, slave codes again. So in 1815, so the war ends, and now in 1833, this is where the oppression of um, black education really begins. So in 1833, they passed a law that anyone caught teaching a slave to read or write could be fined $250 to $500. Any free slaves that wrote on behalf of a slave would receive 39 lashes per offense. So if a slave wanted to write to another plantation to keep in contact to where their wife or husband or children were sold and a white person did it for them, they get fined 250 to $500. That's a lot of money even by today's times if you got 500, fined $500 for writing a letter. Any, any slave that did it on their behalf got 39 lashes per offense from a whip, 39 lashes for writing a letter. If you, forged, if you were a slave that knew how to write and you forged freedom papers, it was 50 lashes from a whip for the first offense and 100 lashes for each offense after that. So what happens is they, they are now making education or communication between black people more difficult unless you're right there in person because they didn't want, they didn't want black people writing to each other and organizing and coming together, which is going to be some of the basis for Pro, which we'll get into. The Pro ops were meant to subvert black unity and keep us from coming together which is exactly what the slave code was doing in 1833. So we can see that there is a conscious effort to keep black people down starting in the 1600s and moving all the way into the 1830s. So we got about a minute left. This is going to bring us to the civil war. The civil war starts in 1861. And once again, we are offered the opportunity to fight for our freedom. 
And what happens in 1861 is that many of us escaped to the north, not necessarily right in 1861, but uh, during the course of the Civil War, many of our people are going to escape to the north, and they're going to start to fight. And then out of that, the Emancipation Proclamation is going to be born in 1863, but we're going to see that it's not all that it's cracked up to be. There's going to be a deception around that because, remember, the enemy is trying to deceive the whole world. So what he does is he's going to give us the illusion of freedom. All right, so that's all the time I have for today. I'm going to be back with part eight. If part eight isn't done by tomorrow, I will have it done um, probably by Saturday. So make sure you subscribe on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe on Twitter. Make sure you subscribe on BlackHistoryInTheBible.com if you'd like a free book. Don't forget to go pre-order The Black Hebrew Awakening. Don't forget to go vote and check out the table of contents. If you have any questions about the This is Satan's America series, feel free to send a message. And until next time, I'm